ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to the Canuck Way podcast. My name is David Quadrelli. I'm the site expert at the Canuck Way and your host of the Canuck Way podcast. Joining me today once again is Sean Warren, a contributor at the site. Sean, how you doing today, man? Good, man. It's, I mean, we got the early start on the Canuck game this morning. Uh, not used to the 930 uh, games, but I actually quite like having them first thing in the morning. But of course, the Canucks pulling out the W can't can't have a bad day when it starts out like that yeah for sure recording this podcast on saturday night uh we usually record on sunday nights post for monday mornings at 6 a.m but tonight we decided that it just makes more sense there was a canucks game today the game's fresh in our minds and we're just going to talk about it today and post it for monday hopefully no big trades or anything crazy happens in the next 24 hours before this podcast is posted. But I think it's pretty safe to say that now is a good time to record this podcast. So, Sean, let's just jump right into it. What did you notice today that you liked from this Canucks team beating the first place Washington Capitals? I mean, Markstrom looks awesome. Uh, I thought that he held us in uh, a lot of that game. Um I was kind of interested in seeing how uh, the Canucks would adapt with Edler out of the lineup. We've had injuries on the defense uh, already this season, but Edler has not been uh, among those uh, that have been injured so far, and he's been so heavily used. So uh, so I was really interested to see how they were going to adapt and fill those minutes that he's been allotted so far. Um, a little intrigued by how they handled it, but the fact that they were able to escape with the win today um Bo Horvat scoring in the shootout that's going to be a good confidence booster for him I'm sure and then Patterson with the one-time goal uh, a few good things to pull out of this one despite losing Edler yeah it was surprising today was actually the first power play goal that was scored by a one-timer this yeah. season for the Canucks. And yeah, like you said, it was the one that Elias Patterson scored. But yeah, I got to give a shout out to Daniel Wagner of Pasadabulis for that one. He was the one that pointed that out, that they had not scored a power play goal. And sure enough, right after he posts that article, Elias Patterson goes out and does just that. So that's why I put out that tweet saying, uh, hey, uh, Patterson must have read your article. He went out and did exactly what they hadn't done yet. But uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty shocking to hear that they hadn't done that yet. But it's good to see Patterson... Get the monkey off his back, so to speak, and score that goal. Now, granted, it was a five-on-three, and the Capitals defenseman had lost his stick, so not much of a chance to stop that one. But it's good that JT Miller and Pedersen were able to capitalize on that chance because those are chances you just don't get every day. Well, I mean, it's a lot better than talking about uh, another effort lost on the five-on-three like, like the one in Dallas was. Um, it's good that they were able to score. Uh, JT Miller, very um, opportunistic, seeing that uh, Washington was already down two and now had lost a stick as well. And that was the guy that was watching Pedersen. Uh, pretty poor uh, setup for Washington at that point. They were kind of held at our mercy. And uh, Pedersen was able to get the one-timer across. Um, a interesting point that I hadn't really thought of at that moment, but when they, as they were doing the the replays, you could see that Holtby on his knees didn't quite fill the top of the net, and uh, John and John were talking about it um, and talking about how Holtby is considered a smaller goaltender by today's standards at six foot one, and uh, it was enough to give Pedersen that little window of room 
to sneak it under the bar with that one timer. So pretty pretty keen observation there by uh, John Garrett. John Garrett, the small goaltender himself. It's pretty yeah, crazy that a six foot one goaltender is considered short now. But yeah, no, for sure. That was a great shot by Pedersen. That game today, just in general, like I I kinda wanna touch on another thing that you mentioned was uh Alex Edler going down with an injury. Hopefully by the time this is posted we'll have some more clarity on what exactly it is with Alex Edler that's ailing him. All we do know is that he did leave in the first period. The broadcast looked like they pointed out that it may have been a skate blade hitting him in the midsection when he went to check somebody, but I'm not so sure that was the play. He had blocked a few shots, one of which was off the stick of Alexander Ovechkin, and we know how much those hurt, but it's curious to see what the Canucks do because they're in the middle of a road trip, which we'll touch on later, but they may have just lost their defenseman who they rely pretty heavily on to log those big minutes. And I think it's just a good time to point out that the versatility of Jordy Ben, which I'll be writing about for Canucks army in the coming days is something that's pretty underrated. Jordy Ben is able to play both sides of both sides, right and left on the defense pairings. And that's something that's going to really benefit the Canucks down the road when they lose defensemen to injuries, such as Alex Edler today. We saw it. They had to have, four or three right-handed defensemen and then two left-handed defensemen so there was some shifts there where it was two right-handed defensemen out on the ice at the same time and you could tell Jordy Ben was one of the only ones that was comfortable playing on the left side I think they tried to keep it to Ben and Tanev the ones playing the left side but you saw for for one shift there Tyler Myers was out there with Troy Stetcher and neither of them are very comfortable on that offside so it's just Curious to see how long Edler's going to be out, and thankfully they have a player like Jordy Ben who's comfortable playing both sides, and the versatility that he brings to the team. It's pretty underrated. Well, he was logging some big minutes today. I mean, he led the Canucks decor in uh, ice time today, which, I mean, not typical for Jordy Ben. Uh, Jordy Ben being housed generally on the third pairing, so uh, I think that's exactly why he was was just because of what you touched on uh, his versatility his ability and comfort level with being on either side of the blue line um, that's going to be uh, kind of a question mark that they're going to have to look at going forward now if Edler is going to be out for significant time here is like is Fantenberg going to uh, finally factor into a game or are they going to pull somebody up from the minors Jordy Ben does give them the versatility to pull up kind of anybody on either side, whoever is doing well, and then just moving him to the opposite side. Um, it'll be interesting to see who gets the call and uh, how long, of course, Edler's out. Hopefully not too, too long. It's a shame because a situation like this is the exact time that Ollie Olevi would have got a look at, or we would have got a look at Ollie Olevi last year. We instead saw Guillaume Brisebois and Ashton Sautner. We got a heavy dose of those two, but we definitely would have saw Ulevi last year. And Ole Ulevi is back out with an injury, and at this point you just feel bad for him. I remember getting the news, and I wrote about it right away. And I just wrote it, and I was like, this kid cannot catch a break. And it's really concerning at this point. I want to kind of throw you... throw you a curveball here, Sean. We're going to kind of shift the conversation to Ole Ulevi. Yeah. How many games do you think Oli Olevi plays in a Vancouver Canucks uniform at this point in his career? 
Oh, I mean, it's tough to say. I, I want to be optimistic and say there will be any. Um, but right now it's hard to, to feel so optimistic. I mean, the Canucks are going to want him to have a full season in Utica at some point. Um, they've shown that that's a desire of theirs after the uh, amount of time lost already at, at this point. He's been playing well at Utica um, when he is healthy. Um, I mean, depending on how long he's out this time, we, we don't really know a whole lot about this in injury. Um, it just looks really bad because they brought him to Vancouver to see the medical staff there, um, which they did last year for that injury as well. Um, I want to say that he becomes a Canuck. I really, really do. But my optimism is starting to to thin out right now on, on Olia Levy. Yes, exactly. This is prime development time for a young defenseman. And last year, he suffered a pretty bad injury. And this year was all about getting that knee up to speed and recovering fully, getting back to where he needed to be. And now he's been hit with just another setback. And at this point, like I said, you just feel bad for him. But it's getting really... It's becoming something that you might have to accept that Oli Olevi may never play a game for the Vancouver Canucks. Now... We hope this isn't the case, but you have to look at the depth chart, because I know people are going to come at me for saying this, but you have to look at who Oli Olevi, if he were to make the team next year, has to pass on the Canucks depth chart. Is Oli Olevi going to get a spot on this team when there's players ahead of him on the depth chart? Ashton Sautner is more inclined to make the Canucks out of a training camp than Oli Olevi is. Mm. Brogan Rafferty has come out of nowhere and been a spark plug for the Utica Comets. He's been on that first power play unit. He's played great with the Comets, and he had a really good showing in preseason as well. I would say that Oli Olevi has dropped a few spots on the Canucks depth chart, and now he has to pass those players above him to ever get a shot at the Canucks. And I think it's going to be a few years, because assuming this year's a write-off, we don't know if it is or not, hopefully it's not, he's going to be in the same spot next year. He's going to be in Utica to start the year, they're going to want him to get get recovered from all of his injuries, get everything back up to speed to where he needed to be, and then that year's a write-off. Yeah. So now we're looking <clears throat> at the year that Vasily Podkoltsin's probably going to be joining the team. There's going to be Niels Hoglander on this team. Is Oli Olevi really going to be a factor into a Canucks team that's going to be contending at that point? We're assuming the Canucks are going to be contending. I have a strong feeling they will be in two years. but I think they have to be, yeah. I mean, exactly. too, you got to think there's Rathbone. Uh, I would even say Jalen Chatfield has surpassed him on the depth chart right now. I mean, he lasted longer in training camp anyways. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, like I, I honestly don't see a time when Olio Levy will factor in. Um, at this point, you almost have to wonder if you kind of have to look at potentially trading Olio Levy when he's healthy and seeing what value there may be. I mean, there will be none, really. Um, it's, it's a really tough situation. Maybe you just let him continue to be in Utica and hopefully he figures everything out there at some point and maybe a long shot down the line. He's, he's able to make it, but it just not looking good right now if you're Oli Olivi. Yeah, it's just an unfortunate situation all around. 
moving right along here, let's talk more about today's game. And Sean, something we noticed, both of us noticed this on Twitter. Canucks fans seem to be, they have found their whipping boy. Their new whipping boy is, no, not Louis Erickson, Josh Levo, the guy who was acquired last year from the Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for Michael Carcone. Josh Levo is the new whipping boy of Canucks fans. I don't get this hate. Sean, what do you think about all this? Um, <laughs> it makes no sense to me. I, I commented on Twitter. I was like, I don't, I really don't get the, the Levo hate right now. I mean, when, when the trade went down and we got him for Carcone, everybody was dancing in the street. They were so happy that we got Levo out of Toronto and he was going to thrive here. Uh, he showed several glimpses of, of offensive abilities. He's got a great shot. Uh, he hasn't been able to put that shot too much work so far, and I think he's been utilized wrong. But that's not Josh Levo's problem, really. Like, that's not something he's done. And I honestly think he's a very consistent and very serviceable uh, middle six player on the Vancouver Canucks team, and I'm I'm baffled, honestly, by, by the hate that he's been getting so far. Yeah, it's really shocking because you just see like like you and I were talking before this podcast uh, we started recording. We were talking about his board work and how how effective he's been along the boards at digging the puck free and all that. I don't think Josh Levo's a first line player. I don't think he belongs on Pedersen and Besser's line. But I don't think that he's the problem. Now the Canucks have problems. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Josh Levo's not one of those problems, and no, it's I... just so funny to see this because it. It's just, he's not a problem. I just want to pull out a stat. Per Thomas Drance of The Athletic, Canucks forwards with more 5-on-5 points than Levo, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, and JT Miller. And then it's Josh Levo. If that doesn't tell you enough about this player and what he can bring to this team, I don't know what will. I don't think Levo's the problem on this team. No, I mean... For a team like the Canucks that have struggled so far this season in scoring five on five, they, I mean, the Canucks have great special teams, power play and penalty kill, but five on five has been a struggle for them and it's been known. Uh, Josh Levo has been good. They could, Josh Levo, I find his board work is fantastic. Um, he's a gritty uh, player that is able to play up and down the lineup. Um, he's smart enough to play with guys like Elias Pettersson. Is it ideal? No. Um, but he is smart enough to be able to keep up with guys like that. He's got all the right tools in the toolkit. Like, I, I really don't understand uh, the hate for him. I mean, if I have a bottom six that has guys like Mott, Schaller, and Levo, I'm pretty happy. At the end of the day, there's a, there's a lot more uh, pieces that are going wrong in, in the Canucks lineup right now that are not named Josh Levo. Um, so to be concerned about how he's playing, I mean, one of the big things right now, I think everybody's upset about, um, and they'll use as an argument against Levo is his point production and his shooting percentage is shooting percentages, horrendously low. It's a very, very low 4%, which is, that's horrid, right? But it's also not, um, sustainable that it's going to stay that low. I think he's just had uh, not very many opportunities to unleash the shot that we all know he has. And he's been utilized wrong offensively. He does not belong in the power play. I think everybody can agree with that. 
uh, and you know maybe given a bit of an opportunity on five on five he can give a good boost to a team or to a line sorry uh, in the top six um, or middle six ideally so I mean ideally in in a perfect world the Canucks have top like three scoring lines and then one kind of grinder shutdown line and Levo would be perfect for kind of that role yeah, for sure. I think Levo would be good on that third line alongside Adam Gaudet. And he has been good on that third line in that spot that we're just talking about. But I kind of want to shift the conversation to a lineup here, Sean, because we're looking at life without Jay Beagle right now. Today, the Canucks were without Jay Beagle, and Tyler Grayevac had to center the fourth line. And instead of leaving Tim Schaller on the fourth line alongside Grayevac and Louis Erickson, Head coach Travis Green decided to move Jake Vertanen to that fourth line and promote Tim Schaller to the third line. For me, I totally understand this move because I'm pretty sure a fourth line of Louis Erickson, Grayevac, and um, and Schaller isn't going to have much success at either end of the ice. And for a line whose main responsibility is to shut down the play, I think Green elected to go with a more balanced fourth line his third and fourth lines he wanted them both to be able to play in those situations and he was putting every line in every situation today it wasn't a single shutdown line that was being put up against the opponent's top competition it was many lines that were taking part in all the fun and it's interesting because green's not a coach who usually does that but to see him adapt and make that switch i think that's a good coaching move on his part well, I'd love to see him continue to roll lines like that. Um, I think he, kind of to your point, he moved Schaller up because he brought a lot of energy and was able to kind of keep up with them. But yeah, that, that fourth line would have been pretty abysmal. Um, I will continue to be absolutely flabbergasted that Louis Erickson even touches ice um, in this Canucks lineup. Um, I I really don't get it. I know... Uh, we didn't want to talk too, too much about Goldobin, but Goldobin putting up a hat trick tonight in Utica. There's no way Louis Erickson is a better player or more NHL capable or brings anything to this Canucks lineup that Nikolai Goldobin does not. Um, I think there's lots of versatility with the forwards that are available to the Canucks right now. Um, with the injuries, with everything. I mean, in a perfect, health, perfectly healthy lineup, the Canucks almost have two extra lines, right? If you have everybody that could play in the NHL. Um, so there's plenty of capable of bodies. I don't understand really how uh, Louis Erickson continues to factor in for the Canucks. Um, it'll be interesting to watch going forward. Who knows? Maybe... This podcast will be out of date, optimistically, um, with a big Louis Erickson trade. I know it'll never happen, but uh, yeah, I just really don't get it. To Louis Erickson's credit, he is responsible defensively, and that is something that Nikolai Goldobin has proven that he's really not. And it's something that Travis Green needs from his players, and that's why Nikolai Goldobin doesn't have a spot on this team. You see Elias Pettersson, his two-way game. You see Brock Besser's two-way game, how much it's improved under Green. It's something Green demands of his players, and it's something that the Canucks stars have started to understand. Pedersen and Besser 
have improved so much. And even Adam Gaudet, his defensive play has been incredible to what it was just a year ago. And Goldobin, the same can't really be said. But on that note, I think it's very smart that we introduce our next segment here is going to be Can You Believe It? So after this ad plays, we're just going to jump right into Can You Believe It? Alright, so with Can You Believe It? It's my Can You Believe It for the day is going to be Can You Believe It? Nikolai Goldobin has potted a hat-trick for the Utica Comets, but Corey Hergott on Twitter, Comets Corey, has pointed out that his play away from the puck is what's been really impressive. And it starts to make you wonder, is Goldobin finally starting to, quote-unquote, get it? Because this is something that Travis Green has wanted to see from Goldie. Goldie worked hard on his defensive game in the summer. It didn't really show much in the preseason. He actually looked invisible in the preseason, if I'm being honest. But Goldobin's starting to get it, potentially. And he's scoring goals, and he's putting up assists in Utica. Sean, what do you think about that? Well, what a pleasant surprise that would be. I mean, uh... It feels like Green tried pretty well everything uh, with Goldobin in his time in Vancouver to try to teach him exactly the way that he wanted him to play, and that is responsible, like you said, at both ends of the ice. Nobody doubts his offensive abilities, uh, his his vision offensively, or his uh, his capabilities of getting Pedersen the puck and being able to read well off of him. But his effort level was probably the biggest issue uh, on the defensive side. So if he's starting to play much better, as Corey's saying, I mean, that's that's really great for Vancouver, and hopefully he can be able to transition that to the NHL lineup eventually. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, because if the Canucks do decide to call up Goldobin, and I'm going to come out with some reasons why they should eventually, not a certain number, I haven't decided anything like that yet, but... When the Canucks, if and when the Canucks do call up Goldobin, showcasing him in a top six role alongside Elias Pettersson dramatically increases his trade value. A lot of teams are going to look at that, and granted, he has to have success with Pettersson like he has in the past for this to work, but if he has success alongside Pettersson and then the Canucks get a Michael Furland or someone back from injury and they're ready to make take him back out of the lineup... Goldobin's going to be someone that teams are going to look at and say, okay, this player has offensive ability. Maybe we should see what what the Canucks are asking for him. And I know the Canucks would be okay with moving on from Nikolai Goldobin. He's not doing much help for the organization if he's in the minors. It does provide them with a lot of depth. But it's just curious to me because I I would really, really like to see Goldobin showcased on Pedersen's wing. And just kind of see what he can do with everything he's done down in Utica. See if it can translate to the NHL game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, worst case scenario, uh, you bring him up and you're able to showcase him and try to get some assets back. Um, I mean, otherwise, he's lighting up the AHL, I guess. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot that the Canucks are gaining from having him um, down there right now. Unless he's able to fine-tune his game. And, and pull that defensive ability or effort out. Yeah, you kind of hope he's not going to become another Reed Boucher career AHL All-Star. Uh, that's, just a, that's just a weird one, is that he's never been able to translate it to the NHL game. You just kind of hope that it isn't what, the case with Goldobin. But, you know, for now, it might be. And we'll have to wait and see on the Goldobin. But Sean, what do you have for us for your Can You Believe It statement? 
Well, can you believe it? The Canucks currently have the best five-man power play unit in the NHL production-wise. With Bo Horvat, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes, and JT Miller, they have more power play goals than any other five-man unit in the NHL. That's, that's, that's unbelievable. I can't even believe it as I'm saying it. That's unbelievable. It is. It is. That's a perfect can-you-believe-it statement because there was questions about this power play all season long so far. We've had those questions of, okay, well, let's switch them from the one-time sides to their strong sides, see if that gets them going, and it's crazy to think that they've had that. Meanwhile, we're all complaining about the power play and trying to figure out ways that they could be more successful. It's really just a testament to how good those five have been together. And if I'm being honest, it shouldn't surprise many people that Brock Besser, Elias Pettersson, and Quinn Hughes on a power play makes it a good one. And you add <laughs> exactly. Bo Horvat and JT Miller into that equation, forget yeah. about it. They should be that good. So it's it's good to see that they're being rewarded for their efforts, especially as of late. They've struck on the power play in like the past two games, just especially that one against Nashville was unbelievable. What was it, five oh. power play goals? Well, they just eat Nashville up. Like, I don't understand. I don't really know what it is about Nashville or their inability to defend the Canucks power play. But the Canucks power play is absolutely the Nashville Predators kryptonite. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how many other teams will, will fall victim potentially as bad. Another little storyline that we've kind of been monitoring and we've seen kind of go away with the last two games is the quote-unquote goaltending controversy. Thatcher Demko came in and was playing lights out in all of his opportunities. And then Jacob Markstrom lost his dad, unfortunately. And he came back and had some troubles. And I saw some people on Twitter say it was because of his dad. I don't think that was the case. That's just so... That's just uncomfortable to even suggest, I think. Yeah, But, um... Yeah, whatever it was that was ailing Markstrom and he wasn't playing as well as he would like to, it seems to have been put behind him because his last two games, Jacob Markstrom has been the Canucks' best player. Oh, I mean, he's been fantastic. So, I mean, it's great to see him kind of regain form. There's a little bit of a that shaky... He had a few shaky games um, kind of in and around when his dad passed, and I don't know if the two are related. I don't think they are. I agree that it is kind of, it feels lazy to assume that, or it feels really uncomfortable to suggest it. Um, I mean, all these guys are professionals. They've all dealt with different uh, circumstances and tribulations throughout their career, different setbacks. And um, I mean, as much as it's a different animal when it is somebody like your father passing, uh, I think Jacob Markstrom would have learned at least at this point in his career uh, how to be able to kind of tune some of that out or you turn it and use it um, to kind of channel his focus a little bit more. Um, I mean, he's playing great. Whatever he's doing is working. Um, and for the Canucks, that's that's great news. You want at least one of your guys going. And if you have two great goaltenders, then more the merrier. Yeah, the Canucks early on had one of the best tandems in the NHL, for sure. Save percentage-wise, that is. And that kind of went away in November. It was starting to be, okay, who can get us a win? Let's try you. Okay, you couldn't do it. Let's try you. 
Okay, you couldn't do it either. Let's go back to the other guy. But now it seems like Markstrom has kind of settled back down and figured out what he needs to do to be successful. He's had two good games at the time that we're recording this podcast, and he just looks positionally sound again. It looks like the Jacob Markstrom that we had been used to seeing, the one that had been built by Ian Clark. It's just good to see a goaltender come back from what he looked like during that stretch of games where the Canucks were losing and losing. It, it's good to see him come back, I must say. Oh, I, I agree. Like As much as uh, you know, I, I foresee there being a dilemma with Jacob Markstrom, and we touched on that the last podcast, you, you hope for the best for the guy. And obviously his teammates are willing to run through the walls for him. I mean, they they really battle for him, which um, there's great great team chemistry there, and hopefully, uh, you never know. Maybe we get out of November relatively unscathed, and our playoff hopes are still intact. Yeah, Sean. Before we wrap it up here, I wanted to retouch on the question that I asked you last week as well. I said to you, Sean, how many points do you think that the Canucks will come away with of a possible twelve on this six-game road trip? How many points did you think they would come away with back then? I can't really remember the number you said. I said five. They're already at four, and they've got three games left. I would like to change my answer, but I'll stick with five because that's the noble thing to do. But my heart's telling me that this team's going to pull off eight on this road trip. What did you say originally, Sean? Eight would be great. I I said optimistically six. Uh, I went for 500 on this road trip. Um the great part is it looks like they're going to hit above that. Um, yeah, I think, honestly, eight is attainable at this point, especially if they can kind of keep the ball rolling here. Yeah, and I even wrote it in my post-game report. Going, getting six points on this road trip is a huge success for this team. If you take into account how they were playing right before this road trip, it was looking like this was going to be, well, we knew it was going to be a season-defining road trip, but it was really looking like this was going to be a tough road trip that really undid all of the work that the Canucks did in October to get that record where it is. It just seemed like it was going to undo everything, all the good that they had done early on. But at the time of this recording, sure enough, Canucks are still third in the Pacific Division right now. Well, and beating two good teams. Like, Nashville's not a bad team. Washington looks arguably better than they did when they won the Cup. Um, I mean, they're they're not any slouches themselves. This looked like a murderer's row of games. And, I mean, it still could be here on out, but their Canucks are looking like they're starting to regain their form a little bit here in spite of the injuries that are happening to them. Uh, you never know. They might, they might actually pull out a pretty big surprise on this road trip and uh, give us a really big positive out of this, as you mentioned, season-defining road trip. Well, yeah, you just look at their upcoming opponents, and I think with the injuries that the Philadelphia Flyers and the Pittsburgh Penguins have both had to deal with, I think those are two games that the Canucks could very well win and come away with those eight points that we were just talking about. I think it's very attainable, and we'll have to see if the Canucks can pull it off. Well, and just as difficult, too, will be the end of the road trip when they do the home-and-home with Edmonton. Uh, Edmonton's pretty dynamic offensive team obviously with McDavid and Dreisaitl and and James Neal playing as well as he has with them uh it's going to be interesting to see how much uh gas they have left in the tank for them uh to keep up with with those two guys 
Yeah, for sure. Sean, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we close it out here? Um, not not too much. I am working on another piece for the Canuck Way. Um, it'll be touching on uh, different potential trade targets as the Canucks look to round out uh, their top six and grab another winger potentially to play with Bo Horvat, as there's still so many question marks around uh, who he's playing with regularly. Um, so watch for that sometime this coming week here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading and editing that article, most likely. And we'll <laughs> definitely have to get more in-depth into that article once it's out. And we'll touch on it in our uh, What You Wrote segment that we actually didn't run this week because neither of us have really written anything in the past week since this podcast's been up. <laughs> it's been a bunch of post-game reports for me, so don't yeah. really want to go too much in-depth on games that happened the week before. But yeah, we'll definitely have to touch on that on the next Canuck Way podcast. So that just about wraps it up, everybody. Thank you once again for tuning in to the second edition of the Canuck Way podcast. For Sean Warren, I'm David Quadrelli, signing off. Mm-hmm.